Hello, hello, my dearest peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi with Matin Roxafat. Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. You know the deal. We are live streaming our our show on many social media channels: Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, many. So you can find us also on many podcast channels: iTunes. Google Play, iHeartRadio, and many. It's just the matter of typing out peace-mindedly and you will be able to find us. It's noon on the last Tuesday of February, Pacific Standard Time, and you are watching and listening to Peace-Mindedly live from Seattle. The subject of today's show is perhaps the main drive behind why we started Peace-Mindedly podcast in the first place. I grew tired tired of answering the the same ignorant questions about Muslim women over and over again. There are the same questions that Seema Yasmin and Famida Azim, authors of Muslim Women Are Everything, stereotype shattering stories of courage, inspiration, and adventure, try to answer in the book. The, the same questions that I faced to answer the questions like, do Muslim women drive? Or do you ever divorce their husbands? Or how about this? Do they ever eat salad? Or do they read this one? They mean, how come a Muslim woman can be a journalist? Or are there any Muslim women professors in the academic community? So according to a study conducted by the University of Birmingham in 2012, more than 91% of the stories about Muslim community in the United Kingdom is negative. Forget how long this research uh, was conducted. I I can assure you that nothing, nothing has ever changed. So here's my challenge to you. Please go ahead and open up a New York Times or any major newspaper and go to the word section and try to read the last paragraph of any story, any given story that it's not related to Europe or to the U.S. And you'll find the same fact, I would say, that always all the time ends with negative connotation. However, Muslim women are not quiet. Dr. Sima Yasmin is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, and medical physician. She attended medical school at Cambridge University and worked as a disease detective for the U.S. federal government, Pandemic Intelligence Services. I'm bringing Dr. Sima Yasmin to the to the screen. Hello, hello. Yeah. So she's been quite busy during the pandemic, giving updates about COVID-19 on many major media networks. Welcome, Seema. And Seema, sure, Seema is the writer of the Rider Illustrated Duo, Famida. Azim is the other half of the duo who created the pictures in the book. And I, I, I assure you that the, the pictures are fascinating. Originally from Bangladesh, Azim is based in our beautiful city of Seattle. Her work uh, centers around themes of identity and autonomy. Her artworks have been covered by the New York Times, NPR, Glamour, and much more. So I am so delighted to have you ladies. Thank you so much. And and welcome to Peace Mindedly. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure and honor. 
I, I'm not going to go through a very usual path of asking probably a question that you've been asked many thousand times, but I'm going to ask uh, this particular question. I, I'm really curious to know that how you, how would you characterize public opinion against uh, Muslim women? So in your opinion, what Americans are, or non-Muslims are not getting about Muslim women? So I, I wonder who would like to start first. Yes, go ahead, Sima. I think the answer to that is kind of all over the media, on TV, on your airwaves, on in magazines. There's a kind of a very narrow focus when it comes to Muslim women, usually, that you recognize even through the questions that we get asked that really focus on the things that we wear or the things that we may or may not be allowed to do in our personal lives. So I think there's obviously that danger in that singular story where you don't get to understand or enjoy the breadth of diversity within the tens and hundreds of millions of people that call themselves Muslim women. And so it was never for Fahmida and I to talk about um, what it meant to be a Muslim woman in terms of representing one version of that story, because that story is so diverse. And the women in our book, in Muslim Women Are Everything, are poets and ballerinas and politicians and choreographers and bakers and astronauts and they're also military strategists and warmongers which kind of again speaks to this idea that you can't say muslim women are one thing that we are this thing or not that thing because for any thing that you think we are or we are not we can show you a million examples of how we are different to that. Absolutely. So, Famida, every time I speak to you and with you, you always have fascinating, funny stories about <laughs> how Muslim women have been characterized. So I wonder what is your take on this? I think there's a lot of dissonance with what people expect to find with Muslim women versus what we are because most people don't know Muslim women in their lives, but they get they get so weird about it sometimes. Like uh, I'll have people say that it's inspirational that I, I draw pictures or that it's inspirational when a Muslim woman just like plays soccer, but that betrays this belief that they don't think that we're people who do uh things that are fun or relevant or outside of Muslimness or however they define it for themselves. It's, it could just be because they're not exposed to it in the media or in their lives where people, <laughs> they are fed a kind of imperialist narrative that um, we need to be rescued or that we're oppressed, but we're also mysterious and dangerous. And it doesn't really click that all these like singular definitions don't match each other, that it's not a coherent narrative that they've been fed. Mm -hmm. Coherent na narrative that they've been fed. So if I come to you and I am not Muslim, I have no idea about Muslimhood, Muslim women and anything. And I tell you, so Famida, what kind of Muslim woman are you? What is your what is your answer to this question? I'm a Famida. I I'm a, that's what I am. I mean, what kind of non-Muslim are you? Like, give me one word definition. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just very silly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sima? 
I would just laugh at that question nowadays, I think. Because um, even, we, the thing is, we do this within our own communities as well. It's not just about people who are not Muslim. And Fahmeed is totally right. There's so much evidence about people who live in the US and how few actually have friendships, like real relationships, people who are Muslim. Therefore, they know us through the media. And that's been documented so well over decades of media misrepresentation of Muslims. But then, like I said, we also do that policing within our own communities. People may ask, are you a practicing Muslim? And I'm like, what does that mean even? And why is that your business? Like my spirituality, my relationship with God. So again, I just think these questions, I think now I'm at a point in my life where I, I'm more able to laugh at them and to be perhaps a little bit less frustrated by them, depending on the day. But also like, say I do want to answer that question of what kind of Muslim are you? I may give you one answer on a Tuesday and a different answer on a Wednesday because that's life and that's how humans evolve and our mindset shifts shift as well so it's, it's complicated so Seema we are on Tuesday and I come to you <laughs> <laughs> what is your answer My this, answer to this is... silly silly question uh, yeah, right. So my answer, I, I like the way Fahmida said it, like I am a Fahmida, like, you know, that my answer to your question is I am a Sima Yasmin on the last Tuesday of February, like that's where I'm at today. I'm a little bit hungry. I'm a little bit thirsty. <laughs> I would like a nap, like that's where I'm at today. <laughs> Excellent. But no one asks this of other religions, of like other groups of people, like who asks a Christian, what kind of Christian are you today? Like, are you practicing? Like, that's that seems silly to anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So about the book, I, I, um, the, the text is beautiful and as well as pictures. How did you select the, your, your people, Seema? That was hard. I mean, it was a process that we were both involved in. And one thing we were really, really deliberate about is that we can't do this thing that often happens when people are trying to do a positive representation of Muslim women, which is like when I've been on panels about journalists and Islam and reporting on Islam, and everyone on the panel is South Asian or from the region known as the Middle East. And it's like, where are the black Muslims? Where are the older Muslims? You know, so we we want we were really, really deliberate about having Muslim women who were disabled and having Muslim women who were transgender and having Muslim women who were queer and having Muslim women who were black. And even geographic representation, it, it'd be easy for me, certainly, because of where I live and my biases, to just be more aware of women who live in the Northern Hemisphere and therefore just select that. And so it was really important that we also picked women across time. And I think even when some of us think about diversity and inclusivity it's easy to just focus on race and ethnicity but diversity of age was really important to me as well I wanted to have younger women and I wanted to have older women um, and people that just represented some of the breadth uh, of what it means to be a Muslim woman. Famida, how is it like to work with Seema? Um, I would say we click really well, like we met working on a different project because we work in like journalist, uh, journalism spheres. She was doing this project for uh, the Dallas Morning News. And um, I got a last minute call from her to like work on this project she was doing for them. And we, it, to my surprise, we hit it off right away because we have like the similar philosophy that we shouldn't 
be limited just by um, how what boxes we fit into according to census data. It's very difficult to choose a person or personality or a region, but I wonder, do you have any, of course, all of them are your favorites, so please don't give me usual answers that you give, but I wonder who is your favorite character. I wonder who is um, who really inspires you the most. Oh, it's tough to pick. And also, I will say just off the back of the last question you asked me is we were careful and deliberate and thoughtful about who we included in the book. But there are so many days now, you know, it's been almost a year since the book's been out that I still think oh, we should have put this woman in it. She's an amazing surfer. <laughs> oh, we should have put this Muslim woman in it. She's an incredible boxer. Or oh, there's this Muslim woman who's an abolitionist and she writes books. Yeah. And oh, there's always so many people. I'm like, darn it, we need to do a volume two. So it's really hard to pick just from the world. And it's even harder to pick from in the book. I found while writing the book, the stories of the Speed Sisters to be very, very inspiring. And even though they are Palestinian and I am not, and even though they are race car drivers and I am not, although I would like to be after learning about them, their life uh, journeys and their persistence. I mean, these are women who literally race cars in a place that has military checkpoints like every few miles and they have made it their mission to be able to like put the foot on the pedal and go as fast as they can they go racing and um practicing their tricks in their cars in places where israeli police shoot at them uh, shoot gas canisters at them. And then within this racing world, they keep beating the men. And so there are male referees who keep trying to get them disqualified for like not real reasons. And so, you you know, you're kind of learning about these women's lives and they're amazing. And they just take like regular, regular cars, take rocks and basically chip away at the cars to make them as streamlined as possible. They'll give a rock to their mother and their auntie and their grandma and get everyone involved. And then they'll go win these races, even with so many things up against them. And I found that very frustrating to write because you're just like, oh my gosh, like how much can be thrown at this one group of women? But I also found it really inspiring. And I was going through some things when I was writing the book and it kind of gave me that hope that, you know what, they've put up with so much crap. They managed to do it i'm gonna persevere and get through this stuff as well excellent so i was just trying honestly to find the picture but okay famida sima comes to you and says this is the three sisters i'm thinking about and it's a race car can you walk me through your procedure that you take to think through and and have the picture uh, ready can you take me through the procedure okay so it involves, there is so much back end work to making an illustration. Um, I do a lot of research, like I'll get the script, I'll get the concept, and then I will go out and seek all kinds of information about it. I will gather reference photos. I will, like for the Speed Sisters specifically, I watched their documentary. And then I would take screenshots of relevant things uh, that mean a lot to them, like the design of their cars or like their favorite jacket or 
like what outfits they're wearing for a very important event or the kind of trophies that they've won. And then I'll make an entire folder of them. I'll make lists and associations and I'll come up with imagery um, that is the most significant to them and their careers. And then I'll make options. I'll make like little thumbnails and sketch it. I'll make thumbnails of these ideas, like putting these pieces together in different ways. And then I will make like sketches of my top three ideas. Then I'll like send them to the writer and then the editor and then we'll pick or maybe we'll combine. Then I'll do edits and then I'll send it again. And then once I have approval, I will start actually drawing it. Oh my God. Um, Okay. Bear with me for a second. I want to have the full screen to show the picture. I found it. Okay, this is the picture we are talking about. For those of uh, audience or, or people who are watching, this was what Sima and, and Famida was talking about. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Speed Sisters, is there going to be the next book, Sima? And the and next book, I can tell you, I mean, I am definitely working on some books on my own and Fahmida has projects going on and we're not allowed to tell you any detail, but she and I do have another collaboration that's really exciting. And just when Fahmida was describing her incredible research-driven process, I was thinking about this next project has some unique challenges and I was like, oh, how's she gonna like navigate those? Cause you know, I think there's different challenges when you're drawing real people there's issues there and then when you're obviously thinking about the kinds of I can't say but the project we're working on next um I'm really excited for that and it should come out in like a year so you're officially going going to kill us by not telling the project not kill it's just like tease you with lots of suspense I know um follow us both on Twitter because maybe we'll be announcing it in the near future we just can't share it yet so we're really near future is when I mean you're a journalist yeah like in a few weeks we'll probably all announce it on our Twitter we just can't give the details of our next collaborative project yet yes my my team was telling me oh Sima is a prolific writer so we are going to ask what is the next project tell me tell me Famida yeah like um while I was working on Muslim women are everything I was also like juggling the process of like two other contracts that I had of like books and then during the pandemic I had to finish two other books and yeah it was was awful the pandemic um it's still going on um and this year I have let's see Amira's Picture Day which is a children's book about Eid coming out uh this year in April, just in time for Eid. And then I have uh, Samira Surfs, which is about Rohingya girls learning to surf and uh, participating in surfing competitions in Bangladesh that's coming out this summer. And I'm also featured in the Scholastic Anthology In Search of a Dream, which features poems about important um, uh, immigrants in American history. And I'm also going to be in another anthology 
that's going to come out this year, but I'm not allowed to say uh, the name yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I can I can put up with that. But I I wonder what is the biggest frustration uh, you may you may experience um, as as a Muslim woman. You want this one? <laughs> I know. I think it's a constant under expectation or. Yeah, and actually, you know, that goes back to the story of why this book even exists. It wasn't a plan to write this book. It was just that about three years ago, I tweet, tweeted something out of anger because people were on Twitter and institutions and companies even were like congratulating people like Ibtihaj Muhammad, but in their congratulations, kind of showing the element of surprise that a Muslim woman could be an Olympian, a Muslim mm -hmm. woman could be an athlete, a Muslim woman could go to space. And so I tweeted something then around like, yeah, you know, Muslim women do kickbox and we do code and do open heart surgery and eat salad. Like, what do you think we are? And so to my frustration, I think just goes back to that. It's those predetermined beliefs, perceptions, misconceptions that people will have about me because I am Muslim. And then just the lower expectations people may have and just that feeling of being undermined that it, it is very frustrating. For the first show that we conducted, we talked with a filmmaker, Aram Parvin Bilal, for um, I'll you there, and Dalia Mugahed, and the actress. So I learned uh, from Dalia, maybe you know her, former executive director for Gallup. So he, she was saying that uh, in this space of American culture and, and, and within this country, we must allow to be messy, to be non-conventional, to be non-conformative, and to just allow to be messy, as messy as any other community or any yeah. other minority are and can be. And I want to know, uh, I mean, you, you were just, Sima, as you were uh, talking, you were, uh, you were referring to this idea of a low expectation or high expectation or mm -hmm. not, not seeing us as probably human beings yeah so exactly. so i want to know your your take on this i honestly enjoyed the comment and i thought yes i mean i want to be messy and i, I mean in my yeah. community in my life and i don't want to be taken by surprise so i want to see how how you feel about that oh i know i completely agree and actually i when i answered your question i described it as frustrating, but actually I think it, more than frustrating, it's really boring at this point. And it just shows a real lack of imagination around what you think you can be. But it totally, I agree with you that what can happen is when people have fixed and narrow ideas of what we are and what we are not, it can be quite easy, especially trying to just maintain your literal safety in a society to just walk within those very narrow confines. And I hope that this book, what it does is kind of trashes those ideas and completely tears apart this idea of one narrow thing or these narrow sets of ideas that Muslim women are supposed to have. Because the truth is there are real life Muslim women in the book who wouldn't get along with or agree with other Muslim women in the book. 
right? And that's the beauty of being us. And even in the section where we write about hijab and niqab and burqa and all of that, we talk about the fact that some of us, like me, used to wear hijab and now I don't. And maybe I would choose to in the future or maybe I would choose to wear it every Thursday afternoon and not on Friday mornings. I don't know. But like, that's my choice. And sometimes I just get bored about talking on that too. Um, so again, I just really hope that this book kind of tears those ideas apart. And by just flicking through the pages and looking at the images, you see that there are black Muslim women in hijab and there are black Muslim women not in hijab. And there are disabled Muslim women who look a certain way and, you know, and just the whole breadth of whatever we want to be. Excellent. Fahmida. Oh, uh, I think this book has uh, been doing its job, at least in like personal anecdotes I have. Like uh, I was just talking about how my little sister, she's 16 years old and wants to take dance lessons. And like there's a class that she can take where she can learn to dance and she's super excited about it. And she's asking for permission from my dad. And he's just like, no, you, you can't take dance classes. We're Muslim, Muslim girls don't do that. And so my sister calls me me up on the phone and I'm like, I made an entire book that says otherwise. You can't do this anymore. You don't have an excuse. Um, and then he let up actually that it, he was forced into a corner and he said, I, I don't like it. Well, it's a good thing you're not the one taking the dance lessons. <laughs> if you don't like dancing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so next year, my sister's going to take dance lessons. Yeah. So that's a small win, at least like it, in in the little bit. And it's a huge I'm, just win. So, I'm just so sick and tired of being told what to do. It's just, yes. yeah, that might be yes. the most frustrating bit. Yes. Or just yeah. being told all the time what is Islam and what isn't, when we, even those of us who may have been raised in very devout ways, are so aware that there are multiple interpretations to the point that we do belong to different sects and different schools mm -hmm. of thoughts and believe and follow different imams, right? So then stop shoving it mm -hmm. down our throat that there's one way, one correct way of being, which kind of goes back to that point of oh, when yes, people the straight like, are you, yeah, like, are you a practicing Muslim? Like, what does what does that mean? I was kind it's of a trap. It's, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, like in you can't way? win either way. Like you're yeah. in a rock and a hard place. Um, I we have friends who do who did a podcast called Good Muslim Bad Muslim, and uh, Zara is actually in our book um, because she's a fantastic comedian and. Uh, their entire premise of that podcast was just that one person's good Muslim is another person's bad Muslim. So how are you <laughs> to know how to act exactly? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And why is it that anything that you do that makes you happy is somehow bad for someone else? And like whatever you do makes somebody mad. Absolutely. So I was just trying to find a picture, one of the my favorite pictures. I'm going to find it and show it to our audience. Uh, but uh, for, for the time being, please, please stay put. So where are we? We are here. Stay put, please. You are watching Two Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. I guess this is the 
photo I wanted to to show. Yes, it's a photographer, and then description about the photographer. So we we do in this book we do have women who are fully covered, and we have women who are not covered, showing skin, not showing skin, and all of those. So I think it's it's important to really realize diversity, diversity even within uh, the Muslim community. I oftentimes explain that uh, perhaps uh, Muslim who are living in Arab uh, culture are different than in Turkish culture, in Hebrew culture, in Iranian culture, in South Asian culture, even within the South Asian culture. Muslim in Pakistan are very different than Muslim in Afghanistan. So we really need to understand the, the cultural spectrum and also the interpretation of the cultural spectrum within their own communities. And I think that is very important. We are live streaming our show on many social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, many podcast channels, iTunes, name it, Google Play, all of those. Very easy to find us. If you uh, do miss a podcast, visit Goldtune, G-O-L-T-U-N-E, goldtune.com, where you can access this podcast and previous ones on on this website. The website, actually, is that I run with the help of a talented group of editors and correspondents. So make sure to visit. And when you visit our website, please sign up for our newsletter. And of course, feel free to submit your questions and comments here. Martin is here to help us out with the comments and questions. With International Women's Day around the corner, we are speaking to an eminent scholar on women's movement in Maghreb. Maghreb region is Tunisia, Morocco, and Algeria. Fatima Sadiri is president of Association for Middle East Women's Studies, or AMUSE. For short, she is also a professor of linguistic and gender studies at Fez University in Morocco. Joining her is Eileen Mari Tripp, professor of politics, gender, and women's studies at the University of Washington in Madison. She recently released her book, Seeking Legitimacy, Why Arab Autocracies Adopt Women's Rights. The Tuesday after, we are talking to Medina Tenur-Whiteman, author of Invisible Muslim, Journeys Through Whiteness and Islam. Medina's book is gaining momentum, and uh, basically she was pushed by, by her publisher to write their book. We will talk about Muslimhood, whiteness, and ups and downs of being a white Muslim woman in European Muslim communities. And the week after that, we will discuss terror and hope, the science of resilience, with filmmaker Rob Burke and researcher Rana Dajani. The movie follows scientists and humanitarians as a combined research, research know-how, and established the care method to heal Syrian refugee children traumatized by devastating stress of war. In this movie, Dr. Dajani explains how she conducted advanced medical research on Syrian refugee children to measure their resilience against stress.
Back to this hour, we are talking to Dr. Sima Yasmin, physician, writer, poet, and regular contributor to CNN, Self Magazine, and many other periodicals, and Fahmida Azim, illustrator, co-author of Muslim Women Are Everything, and duo who are working together really, really well. Okay, so, so my question is, Sima, really? Are Muslim women are everything? Seriously? Everything. We are ambitious. We are lazy. We like swimming. Some of us can't swim. Like we are all of the things. And that was the whole point of the book, the title, and as well as the book cover, because at one point, you know, it would have been very easy for us on the cover of this book to pick one of the amazing portraits that Fahmida created. There's a painting of each and every woman in the book. And it would have been very easy to choose one of them for the cover. But again, we were making this point that Muslim women are not just one thing. We can be all of the things. And that's why the book cover is this kind of really beautiful collage that brings together lots and lots of different women. So yes, Muslim women very much are and can be anything and everything. What is your what is your um, idea, Fahmida? So do you think that, I mean, is it true? Well, of course it's true. I mean, how, what aren't we? <laughs> we, we exist all over the world. There's billions of us. I think the only reason anyone would believe otherwise was if they had an agenda that had to do with not letting us do something or cutting off our choices, or if they had a stake in, let's say, which country to invade. I don't like how even some people who call themselves liberal will insist that we have to be a certain way. Um, and I think the world would just be a better place if we stuck up for each other's choices and an increase at the amount of choices and mobility we all have. Excellent. So what are we leaving out by saying Muslim women are everything? I don't know. I think the book definitely leaves out some incredible, incredible women who embody different elements of what it means to be Muslim, what it means to be a woman today. And that's partly just the constraints of what you can fit in one book <laughs> and when you want the book to be able to fit in people's hands and not have to like need a wheelbarrow to carry it around. But really, I think this book is an antidote and a big um, middle finger up to this idea that we can only be some things and there are other things that we can't be or that we are one of us is an outlier if she makes it to the Olympics or one of us is an outlier if she becomes a really successful entrepreneur like no and then also this idea that like I said earlier like even within us there are multitudes right so the way that we define ourselves our relationship with God and with our faith that can evolve over our lifetime as well so how we identify how we choose to present to the world there's everything within us and within those decisions too excellent so Famida, what do you think that we are leaving out um well I, we can't tackle everything muslim women are in one book i know the book said we're everything and i know uh, the expectation set there is that we should have everything but then the book would never end because every day there are Muslim women who do something new, something unheard of. There's new innovation being made. There's new barriers being broken. And there was no way we could have fit it all. But that uh, that is more reason to have more of us in the spotlight and to share more stories and to um, give Muslim women more chances to prove you wrong. 
I love it. So I love it. Uh, what has been um, men's reaction to the book? Do you know? I don't really care. <laughs> I, I have heard. I have heard from. I think people would assume oh, it's women who buy and enjoy the book, but I've heard from lots of people like, "Oh, I, I bought this book, but my teenage son won't stop reading it, or my younger son really likes a painting." <laughs> and I think that's also it is really important. I'm like, oh. I'm saying I don't care just because. But like, I think it, this is a book really for everyone. We did it. We wrote it and created it very much with this idea in mind that there are so many people out there that don't know a Muslim or don't know a Muslim or woman. And so this might be your entry point, your hello, you're welcome to some of our worlds. And at the same time, it's very much a love letter to all of the, the Muslims out there. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, I wonder what question I'm not asking or Sima that you think I should ask? Uh, asking me or asking okay, your okay. audience, your world? No, ask. Um, so I, I wonder. I mean, in your in your opinion, have you been asked the the kind of questions that you would like to answer, or you you are doing lots of interview? Do the presenter or interviewer asking the kind of questions that you think they should ask to learn about the book and you? Not always. I get a lot of questions about my childhood and my family. Mm -hmm. And I see that there's this attempt to make me the prototypical Muslim woman as someone who's like bringing you this book. And um, I think that's counterintuitive. I uh, do not speak for a billion people. There's lots of Muslim people who would disagree with things that I believe in, and that's fine. Um, I've been in panels where even there, there would be Muslim people who would ask me questions about like, why aren't you doing more to represent us? I'm here, aren't I? And why don't you encourage kids to pursue their dreams? Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to be like the person with the blow horn speaking for everyone when I'm just one person? Your kids have dreams. They want to make culture. They want to do art. They want to explore options. And you should let them. Just it, the world doesn't need more. Well, it does need more doctors. We're in the middle of a plague. But we need people who <laughs> like what they do. And we, the way we get free... <laughs> the way we get free is to like just let ourselves follow our joy and just let ourselves be happy instead of policing each other. Um, we literally need more doctors than that. <laughs> we, we really do, though. <laughs> but only doctors who want to be doctors. Yeah, I don't want oh any like doctors no, that I'm abuse using. I get your point. But you yeah. know what? You're making this great point that when they're, they're the doors are so closed in our faces and there are so few of us in certain fields, then Iftihaj Muhammad, as an example, doesn't just get to be an incredible Olympic athlete who's at the top of her game. She's always a Muslim woman. And that might be great for her, but I'm just thinking about other situations in which you're just asked to speak about your faith all the time or what's mm -hmm. it like being a Muslim woman journalist? What's it like being a mm -hmm. Muslim woman astrophysicist? 
really we want so many more of us in those fields right and in those disciplines so that we get to speak on the astrophysics and we get to speak about the painting process and not just about our faith and so therefore if we are talking about our faith it's our choice it's not because we are on a panel as a selected or representative of roughly 1.2 billion people or whatever it is, that's just a really unfair <laughs> expectation yeah. to put on, on any person. And it's how I think you end up getting more and more perpetuating these narrow visions of what it means to be Muslim. In, when I was growing up in England, oftentimes, and there were tensions between Muslim communities and non-Muslims, the pundits that you'd have on TV would be older South Asian men who spoke with an accent because they'd grown up usually in India or Pakistan. And it was like, to me, I was like, you don't speak for me, you don't represent me, but millions of people watching TV right now really do think that you speak for the majority of us. So that's the, also the danger of the single story. Yes, danger of single story. As you were talking, there's something in my eyes. As you were talking, I was just uh, remembering um, some of my Jewish friends. So as long as they don't say Jewish, I don't know they're Jewish. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hoping that probably, uh, hoping that we go in a space where my daughter's just, you know, an American. And if happens, she says, yes, I am Muslim, and she says it with pride, with uplifting feelings, but doesn't be singled out, as you say, mm -hmm. to, to be just say, okay, so this is, uh, and defend, defend the whole faith, for God's right. sake. That part, that part, like being one person and being asked to speak on behalf of a religion, or being asked to speak on behalf of more than a billion people, that part is, is nonsense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, I've mm -hmm. actually been asked to prove that if there's a God, oh, wow. like there would be like atheist, like people that come up to me like, so you, you are successful because you make lots of books on Islam and like Muslim women. Well, if you're so liberal, then why do you believe in like God? Like what proof do you have that your beliefs are real? And I'm like, I'm just trying not to make my mom sad. Oh, like, I was born into this and I have my own beliefs and I like my culture and I don't want to make my mom sad. Do you know what God is? <laughs> and yes. it's, it's, and I'm supposed to what, just because I am here and in this, I'm trying to speak up uh, my, my own truths so that I have to uh, do something as ridiculous as prove some spiritual point. I, it, this is, and sometimes even even within the Muslim community, uh, being Muslim is to being singled out and to being left alone. I mean, I can talk about the Iranian community because of the religion and political Islam. Yeah. Many of the Iranians really want to be secular yeah. and do not want to be identified mm -hmm. as Muslim. Yeah. And then when I say, oh, okay, I'm doing this show for Muslim, for Muslim women and so forth. And I've been singled out. I mean, what, what the heck you are doing? this kind of thing so also we need to i mean mm -hmm. i think that diversity is just so so big within um within even within the muslim community and i think that speaks to people's experiences and histories of religion too right so mm -hmm. depending on your background my upbringing in the uk was in the uk so it was very much a christian country even though it's meant to be like secular at the state level but then I grew up in a very devout immigrant tight-knit community and I think that can have different impacts on different people but certainly friends I have who identify as Iranian are quite 
secular and, and find it interesting that I hold on to certain elements of my faith. But that's what also makes us interesting, I think. We have yeah. that diversity among us. Excellent. Yes, please stay put here. You are watching to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. This hour, we talk to Fahmida Azim and Sima Yasmin, authors of Muslim Women Are Everything, stereotype shattering stories of courage, inspiration, and adventure. Um, you, If you watch our show, you know that at the end of every program, we ask our guests to share some something meaningful about peace, about uh, about kindness and compassion by sharing a childhood story, a statement, a prayer, whatever they would like to share. I'm going to go with Sima first and then with Fahmida. So please do tell us whatever you think that you would like us to know. Or you're a physician. So why do we need kindness and compassion during this time? Well, yeah, and one of the classes that I teach for my medical students is a class on communicating with compassion and empathy. And that's so important for our patients, right? But one of the interesting things we learn is when we teach medical students and doctors about remembering the compassion and empathy that brought us to this discipline in the first place, it's actually really, really, really good for the well-being of the healthcare provider themselves. And so the thing that I really wanted to share was about self-compassion. And actually, one of the things that I am like my biggest hobbies and that I am like a really big fan of that I want to share is taking naps and resting, because I think we often think about kindness and compassion as outward things, but it's also really important to try as much as possible to practice self-kindness and self-compassion. And I think it is a practice, it's a discipline, you have to keep doing it. And I really think that when you have mastered that, you are able to be truly, deeply kind, compassionate, and have empathy towards other people. And it might sound a bit, um, maybe a little bit counterintuitive coming from me because I am quite a hyper productive person but even that is something that I'm starting to interrogate now and even despite my hyper productivity or probably I am able to be very productive and prolific because I rest a lot and I see that like napping and rest time like proper downtime I see that as productive a time as when I'm sitting down with a notepad and writing writing a book so that's the thing that I would want to share with others is that kindness and compassion is not always an outward thing. I think it actually really has to start with you. Um, if I could encourage everyone to take naps, like when we're in kindergarten or nursery school and everyone kind of gets out their blanket and has a nap time, I think there'd be such less conflict if, in the world if all adults had like a 2.30 p.m. nap time. So that is something that I would like to do if I could, like everyone, just take a break, have some tea, and then let's take a nap. But really practicing that self-kindness, self-compassion, really resting, I think, can make us the best versions of ourselves, the kindest versions of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just sending you a kiss <laughs> because that's absolutely right. Um, in, in Tehran, we did that. I think they call it Celesta or the, there is a term yeah. in, in, it's a sunnah. in, it's a sunnah in Spain. In, um, they do. Yeah, yes. in Islam as well, because I believe the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to take, I think it's called Gaylullah, like a, a rest, I think in the early afternoon. So some people Gaylula, who are very yes. followers. Yeah, we'll practice that. And I think if that's your jam, like doing it because this very special person did it, then do it. 
if you do it just because it makes you less grouchy <laughs> and a better version of yourself do it by taking rest even if you're not sleeping while you're taking you know proper nap but you're lying down you're breathing deeply you're meditating i think it would be so good for all of us to do more of that absolutely yes i'm and and ha having the courage to do that having the courage without any guilt or anything just having absolutely. the courage great point no guilt no guilt absolutely very good thank you so much yes fahmida uh, okay, I think what I'd like to close out with is the argument for not being compassionate and the argument for being cruel and not aiming for peace is actually a very flimsy one. Um, people make make it sound like this is we're, we're doing the hard choice by not letting people get soft and um, that you have to be uh, mean and like it's tough love, but it's not it's like it a lot of the times it makes everyone more miserable to police each other to not just like talk it out and try to understand if we viewed let's say a decision to go to war as more like a failure it's a failure of democ it's a failure of diplomacy it's a failure of our interests because no one's interested in being cruel I think we could have a more holistic view of being compassionate to ourselves and our communities. Like there doesn't have to be a conflict there. And it can actually lead us to a more productive and better future where we don't even have to conflate being nice with a luxury. We have, um, yes, Martin, thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. And yes, we were talking about uh, Muslim women are everything, stereotype shattering stories of courage, inspiration and adventure. You can find this book on many places, including bolton.com. And please do join us for our next episode, which will focus on celebrating womanhood right here before the International Women's Day. Thank you so much, ladies. Take care. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.